This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Radio podcast. This week we have the NBC News update on November 10th, 1941, offering updates on the war from Europe, Asia, and the home front. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can also support the show by clicking on the link in the show notes and offering your financial support. Your donations help us continue to produce the podcast, and thanks to those of you who have already donated. Thanks for listening. Enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the National Broadcasting Company brings you now the latest war news. Today, we're to hear from two members of our European staff. First, the German capital, Alex Dreyer, is our reporter there, and we take you now to Berlin. Hello, NBC. This is Alex Dreyer in Berlin. The High Command today reports on operations in three sectors of the Eastern Front. In the north, the communique asserts that the important junction point of Tischwen, located between Lake Zillman and Ladega, has fallen into German hands. German infantry and panther divisions are said to have succeeded in taking the town Saturday night in a surprise attack which climaxed a drive from the Volkau River, west of Tischwen. In the Battle of the Crimea... The High Command asserts that defending Soviet rearguards east of Sebastopol, as well as west of Kerch, have been forced to retreat. The Luftwaffe is said to have directed day and night attacks against Sebastopol, scoring hits on oil tanks and warehouses. One Soviet cruiser and a large merchantman are reported to have been heavily damaged. In the Moscow area, as well as between the Donets and Volga rivers, the Luftwaffe is credited with attacks against a large number of Soviet transport trains. And last night, the communique says strong German bomber formations once again dropped explosive and incendiary bombs upon the Soviet capital. Tishwin, said to be a junction point of four fairly good roads and one railway line, is also said to be the only place in European Russia where bauxite is mined. The Finns driving down the land bridge between Lake Sonega and Ladega were reported to have reached and crossed the Swir River some time ago. The Swir River is approximately 60 miles north of Tishman. In the west, German Stukas are reported to have bombed the harbor area of Margate on the British southeast coast last night, and the RAF is said to have raided northwestern Germany, with the attack being heaviest in Hamburg. At the Foreign Office press conference this afternoon... The former German minister, Adel in Tehran, and the former German consul general in Reykjavik, Iceland, Gerach, told correspondents of the hardships they said they were forced to suffer under the British before they managed to return to Germany. German firms for two years now have been practicing the custom of sending their employees who were in the field with the armed forces a small gift package as a Christmas greeting. But this year, as with so many things, 
there are difficulties. Deron Griff suggests sending the soldiers a letter telling them to write their own wishes. Dr. Robert Lau's newspaper says that one might ask for a better position or a change into another work department or perhaps for better living conditions. One could even ask for employment for a son or a daughter. Deron Griff thus suggests that the firms this year solve their Christmas problem by giving promises to be fulfilled, of course, only after the war. The German military commander in occupied Belgium has issued a decree forbidding the Belgians to observe the former Armistice Day. The decree says that November 11th is to be a working day and that the hoisting of flags or the use of decorations of any kind will not be allowed. The decree also forbids the Belgians to place wreaths and flowers before World War monuments. Before long, every woman's dress and suit displayed in store showcases outside will have an official list of runner-up prospective buyers inside. According to a plan first tried out in the Rhineland, German economic authorities have hit upon an idea which they think will keep show windows filled and customers full of hope. Already introduced in several Berlin shops, the plan works like this. If you see a garment on display that appeals to you and you think it will fit, you can go into the store and have the sales girl take down your name and address. She arranges a day and an hour for a tryout. But this, of course, can only be scheduled for some time in the future, when enough stock has come in and a decorator is at hand to redecorate the show windows and take the old display out. And if you're way down on that tryout list, chances are that you'll never get the garment. Incidentally, the articles that one sees in most Berlin store showcases nowadays, you can't buy, whether it be in a clothing, handbag, or radio shop. This is Alex Dreyer in Berlin, now returning you to NBC in New York. Now, here are some dispatches from the NBC newsroom in New York. Russian reports say that the Germans have made little progress so far in a new effort to pinch off Leningrad. Moscow Radio says that new thousands of Nazi troops drawn largely from Norway have been thrown back toward Finland on the Karelian Isthmus. And 2,500 German dead is the story from one battlefield. Moscow also tells of German reinforcements reaching the Moscow front. And the announcer says that red troops are ready for an expected new and furious offensive. A dawn-to-dusk air raid patrol has been established at Kuybyshev, the secondary capital, and the newspaper Pravda tells of a German general named Wren, R-E-N-N, being killed in a southern tank battle. The Russians give few details about the Crimea, except that fighting is fierce there. And now for more news direct from overseas, we take you next to London. This is London, Ed Doyle speaking. One of the most famous action ships of the British Navy, the destroyer Cossack, has been sunk. The Admiralty announcement contained only the bare information of the loss by enemy action with the customary note that the next of kin of casualties had been informed. It is not known, therefore, whether she was sunk in the attack by Mediterranean units yesterday on two Italian convoys to Libya. The Cossack participated in four great actions since the beginning of the war. Most famous of them was her single-handed rescue of 300 British merchant sailors from the German prison ship Outmark in Norwegian territorial waters in February 16th last year. The Cossack also was the first ship of the fleet of pursuing British ships to
to hit the German battleship Bismarck with a torpedo a few hours before the Bismarck was blown up. At the time of her end, she was in command of Captain E.L. Berton. More than 100 RAF bombers last night attacked targets in northwest Germany. They made a concentrated attack on Hamburg where large fires were left in the dock area. They also bombed Cuxhaven and Emden, the docks at Dunkirk and Ostend in occupied France. Two bombers are missing. German raiders last night bombed places on the southeast, northeast, and east coasts of England. There was no extensive damage, and the casualties were low. One German plane was destroyed. In readiness for Armistice Day tomorrow, the grassy triangle in front of Westminster Abbey, called the Field of Remembrance, is thickly dotted with tiny white crosses. It reflects the grim reality that this is a total war. Relatives and friends of the fallen from all walks of life and from all parts of the empire have planted mementos for those who gave their lives in the last war and in this. In addition to many crosses for men and units of the fighting services, there are crosses for air raid wardens and workers, for firemen and civilians killed by bombs. There is even one for a girl in the farm laborer's army, a child of five clutching a doll, put down six crosses for her six uncles who died at sea with the merchant navy. The Free French replanted the cross brought from the grave of an unknown soldier in France. Some unidentified Americans put down crosses for members of the Eagle Squadron and other volunteers. Forty million linen Flanders poppies made by disabled veterans will be sold throughout the country on Poppy Day tomorrow in aid of the seriously wounded servicemen of the last war and this. Nearly two and a half million dollars were raised last year. The Zionist leader, Dr. Chaim Weitzman's revelations yesterday that the British government has failed to implement its promise for a Jewish army attracted considerable attention in the press. He told a Zionist conference in London that the public did not generally realize that he had offered to raise a Jewish army in Palestine to fight for the Allies as long ago as December 1939. 10,000 Palestinians are serving with the British forces in the Near East, but permission was never granted for a Jewish army operating under the British High Command. The Times, for the first time, supports Dr. Weitzman's plea editorially by saying that valid military reasons against the offer are not easy to find. The Times also argues that the political objections, that is, the fear of arousing Arab suspicions, are also invalid. I return you now to the National Broadcasting Company in New York. And that's the latest news on the war. Now for word on events at home, here's Earl Godwin speaking from the newsroom in Washington. Good morning, folks. Here it is, Monday morning in Washington, gray and cloudy, and in possibility of a snowstorm, it feels like snow hereabouts. While the Weather Bureau has just gotten out a weekly bulletin about a yard long, saying, in effect, that there has been so much freak weather this year, it will require a special, another long article to describe it all next week. Weather has made a lot of difference in various parts of the country, especially in the crops. Crops get into politics and and legislation. And there are many differences among farm leaders right now over the adamant stand of the majority of the Banking Currency Committee of the House 
which still refuses to retreat from the high ceiling for farm prices, which has been placed in the price control bill unless there was a marked change of mind on the part of the author of the bill, Mr. Stegall of Alabama, since Friday. He had until Saturday night at midnight, I think it was, to introduce the bill, to drop the bill in the hopper of the House and the report. The president wants a price control authority, but does not want a rigid control like many others do, such as they are going about to have in Canada. But the president is reported as simply not signing any price control, control bill with too high, a ridiculously high ceiling on farm commodities. He's willing to sign up for a fair price on farm commodities, a fair and generous price, but that's about as far as he will go according to reports which come to me from his close associates this morning. And so the threat of a veto against one of the most enthusiastic of the Roosevelt supporting factions, which is the farm block, makes congressional life this morning very exciting and full of uh, political tremors. Well, there's indicated a bit of a defection from the original heavy vote on the armed ship amendments, that is, the way it went through the House. But the House will concur in what the Senate has done. That is, it will concur in, it has already passed the arming of the ships and will concur in the authority for removing those combat zones, those zones in which the President has said American ships cannot go. And they're going to have all this done by 5 o'clock Thursday, or I'm a poor prophet, or Saul Bloom and John McCormick are poor leaders. They intend to have this thing ready for the president before he goes on his next weekend trip sometime Saturday night. You know, they've been talking talks of gags and rules and whip and spur to get this bill through the House, but what is actually going on is something that the young reporters haven't seemed to uh, comprehend, and that is the use of a gag rule which will let the House talk more than would be the case if they didn't adopt the rule and just carry it on under ordinary procedure. There's no use of taking up this precious time this morning by giving you parliamentary details, but for the first time I can recall, a gag rule in the House is going to be used to uncork a lot of oratory instead of bottling it up. Many members of the House are worried by the removal of the ban on the combat zones, but it is pointed out here by Chairman Bloom of the Foreign Affairs Committee, the bill does not require the lifting of this ban at all. It does not force any ships into any torpedo zones. It merely will authorize the president to remove the prohibition against sailing into certain portions of the ocean if it is desirable or expedient or politic. And if the president does remove any of these bans, it will leave the ocean and the situation and the American use of all the oceans exactly where the thing was from George Washington's time down to Roosevelt, because this Neutrality Act is a brand new thing in our national experience, and that is all from Washington at this time. And that brings this morning's news roundup to a close. Now we've heard from... Alex Dreyer in Berlin, and Ed Doyce in London, and Earl Godwin speaking in Washington. You know, it's always a pretty good idea at this time of the morning to keep tuned to this station for the latest news. This is the National Broadcasting Company. <laughs>